my experience has been the less I've needed to have, the more I've been able to do. And that's a pretty wide open statement, right? Like mm -hmm. I haven't had to make as much money, so I have more time to do, you know, insert anything. I can run right. more, I can have more time with my wife, I could, you know, spend more time at baseball games with my son and stuff like that. And so generally, I think people need to experience the plus side of the minus side, right? Which is, what am I gaining by losing? Today, we welcome Brian Gardner, who is an advocate for living a minimalist lifestyle, not just by reducing what he owns or buys, but by being really intentional about what he devotes time and energy to. I reached out to Brian actually because of an article he wrote for Becoming Minimalist titled, We Are Defined by the Things We Don't Do. There's actually a link to the article in the show notes, so feel free to check it out. Brian is an entrepreneur, a designer, and a WordPress expert who lives with his wife in Chicago. And they, like me, are empty nesters who have recently sent their son off to college. He is also an avid runner, and that's where our similarities abruptly end. <laughs> the reason he said yes to being a guest today is because he wants to help people like you and me see that we can streamline our lives in whatever ways work for us, and in so doing, experience the huge stress relief of living simply. Hey, it's Ron Thiessen. Welcome to another episode of the Human Being Project by The Change Evolutionist, where my daughter Janelle and I explore the difference between being and doing. In a world of constant distractions, sky-high expectations, and the relentless pursuit of more, we examine what would happen if we made space for more being and less doing. So, Brian, you've written this article uh, entitled, We're Defined by the Things We Don't Do. And there are so many points that you make here. But the first one I wanted to talk to you about was embracing simplicity by letting go of possessions. You talk in the article here about being a person who had p material possessions, who purchased things, who was a consumer, kind of like me. I'm a high-producing high <laughs> consumer, addicted to a little bit of spending. So how did you go from being someone with that consumer mentality to someone embracing minimalism? Well, as most things in life, we we have stories, things that come in, in and out of our lives that sort of de determine the trajectory of where we go. And while we weren't obsessively consumeristic, we were never sort of minimalistic. We always were sort of in between. We live in the northwest suburbs of Chicago, a nice neighborhood. And so inside of that neighborhood, you've got really big houses, you've got smaller houses, and we were sort of on the sort of upper end of it. And that was probably because we just wanted to sort of keep up right with the Joneses, as they say. Right. And so when you have a house that costs a lot of money, there's a <laughs> lot of things you need to do to, to make sure up. that you continue to, to, yeah, to fill it up and to, to all that stuff. And so, you know, for us, though, it got to a point where we were living fine and living comfortably, but then uh, the company that we owned, sales went down a little bit and it started to get a little bit uncomfortable and a couple of months went by and it became a little more uncomfortable. And and we were in by no stretch in any trouble, but it got to a point where like you could feel the physical sort of the the weight of it all. And so my wife and I sat down one night and just talked about it. Say, look, I don't know where the company's going. I know, you know, where we've been and where it's at, and it's still okay. We're not. You, we don't need to jump off anything like right now. But uh, proactively, we just had a conversation, and I said, you know, 
in this case, I think the answer is not to try to make more money, but to need less money. And so like that was a real big conversation for us because we had a really, we had a 4,000 square foot house. We had built it. It was like the dream house. But I was like, at what cost, right? Like to what extent do we want to try to keep this? And is it worth, you know, either trying to work more, which means less time for family and each other or, or just needing less. And so I'm like, I think it's a really good idea. There's another neighborhood nearby that's in our development that has significantly lower cost housing. And I'm like, why don't we see if we could sell our house and just downgrade? We can still have same friends. We can still live in the same area. It's still a beautiful house. Um, and so that was like the, the first choice was sort of that we just decided to just, you know, and, and with that kind of became a domino effect where we're like, okay, well, we changed the mindset of not wanting a big house and not needing to fill a big house. And so through that move and that downgrade, um, or the downsize, we just then we're like, effect. okay, well now we, yes. And so we went through everything as we packed it and said, do we actually really need this? Or did we think we need this or is mm. this here to fill space or whatever? And mm. so it just, you know, wow. really started sort of a heart check, you know, where together we just went through and said, okay, not only are we going to downsize our house, we're going to start to downsize our life. And kind of through that process became like its own journey kind of from uh, that point on. How long did that take? What, what, what time frame did you observe that in? It was a matter of a few months. We once we decide once we had that conversation, I think it was within a week or two. We had the house on the market. We sold it right away, and then we went right wow. into the the next house. And so we, you know, it, it was a pretty quick change, but it was a welcome change because we had felt the weight for some time. And you know, once you sort of let go of stuff and start to experience that joy, it's almost like wow, that was. Mm. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's addictive necessarily, but like it's just a good feeling. You like you want more of yeah. it, right? You like you yeah. want to feed that feeling and emotion, and and so we did. That's awesome. So, do you have any do you have any regrets about doing that? Like, it doesn't sound like you, but but you know, in the you know, in the middle of the night when you're laying awake thinking about something, any regrets about making that kind of move? No, not at all. I again, when it got to the point where like I physically felt the the heaviness of it all, I'm like it's just it's not worth our mental health, it's not worth the relational, you know, situation and um and thankfully, because it's not always the case. Thankfully, you know, we had we had agreement and uh oftentimes spouses or partners differ with the way they see things and fortunately uh, my wife and I came to that conclusion together and we made the move together and our son just kind of followed suit and he was fine. Um, and the house we moved into was the, probably my favorite house we've ever been in. So, Oh, cool. Yeah. Really? Wow. <laughs> yep. It probably yeah. has some um, like emotional uh, attachment too because it was significant. It was the first milestone towards a lifestyle that was more liberating, right? Yeah, it was called like the victory house. Like the yeah. we won the victory of life. We yeah. we victored in life. Like mm-hmm. we made we made the right decision. Yeah. And so, wow. Yeah, mm-hmm. that makes total sense. That's awesome. You also talk about finding um, presence by resisting constant productivity. Now I know this is a trigger for dad because he is a productivity junkie. He'll admit it. And there, that is so toxic on, on some levels. I get that we need productivity and we need goals and we need to be doers to some extent, but yep. there can be an addictive process of productivity and you talk about it here in this article. Do you want to elaborate mm. a little on, on your journey with productivity? So there are, uh, as we all know, there's many facets to sort of minimalism. There's the, the tangible possessional yes. side of it. There's also the, the emotional, the mental side of it. Uh, and I don't necessarily struggle with productivity, but I'm, I work online and so I'm online a lot and kind of in and through that, um, 
it can be a time suck if you let it. And I often let it. And I'm a perfectionist with the work that I do. As I mentioned mm. earlier, I'm a designer. And so like, I like to design. I like, I'm a creative. And so I'm, I'm always online. I'm listening to music. I'm doing a lot of things um, that sometimes are and aren't productive necessarily. And so for me, it, it's, it's less about productivity and just more around um, just screen time, right? Like that's something we try to teach kids at a young age, you know, like limitations on screen time. And there are times where I've had to like literally just close my computer and say, Brian, walk away, like go do something <laughs> different, like free your mind, go spend time with your wife or go downstairs and see if your son's around or just go for a run or do something like that. Because um, while the victory was done in the house and some of the material possessions, it doesn't all, it didn't, it wasn't aligning, you know, like the last couple <laughs> of years, it wasn't aligning with my schedule, my calendar, my mental part of it. I'm like, okay, yeah. well, I have a smaller mm -hmm. house, but like my head's still running wild and stuff like that. So yes. I've had to sort of attack this from all facets of life. So my, my issue with uh, productivity, I mean, I've been, people around me tell me that I've been productive all my <laughs> life. And it, it, for me, it's, it's a, an important thing. And it's a measure, it's an internal measure that I hold myself to. But I realized, uh, you know, over the last year or so, I've been looking at things I'm saying that ex internal measure is always, it's always measured externally. Mm -hmm. Like it, so what did you produce? What did you, what do you have? What did, you know, uh, it, those things that are, that are really not about uh, productivity. Well, they're certainly not about being, they're about doing. And, uh, you know, what, what we are looking at and really trying to examine from so many different points of view is what's the difference between being and doing and do we need more being and less mm -hmm. doing? And, um, you know, I can identify with you about the computer because a lot of the work that I do is on computer and to say, okay, walk away now and do something different, you know, cause there's always something more to yes. do, yep. right? And one of the things that's, that is very valuable for me is the, the daily ritual of connecting. So connecting internally, connecting with my heart space as opposed to just my head. Do you have any habits or things that you do? You mentioned you're yep. a runner. So uh, what, what kinds of things, and maybe running is one of them, do you do to stay like grounded, to stay connected internally? Uh, so the, two, two things, one of which is, yes, I'm a runner. And so... It, it, thankfully, it's one of those hobbies that I can do that requires not the use of a device, at least from a productivity standpoint. I use my iPhone so I can listen to music. Mm. But outside of that, yeah. like I'm physically removing myself mm. from behind the screen. And so I love running. Mm. I As I get older, I run less for time and just more to just get out of the house to clear my mind. And it's funny how sometimes I can spend six hours trying to solve a problem and continually like trying to do it in front of a computer. I'm like, maybe if I just step away, and it's counterintuitive, right? Because if I take mm -hmm. time away from trying to be productive, I actually might become more productive because yes. I'll clear my mind, right. I'll clear yes. that space, I'll go out, I'll go for a run. And and while I, quote, work while I run, because I think about things, whatever, um, there's been several times where I'm like, oh, I think I solved the problem while I was out running and not behind yes. the computer. And then I'd go back to the computer. I'm like, I could have just saved myself some time by yeah. <laughs> freeing this up sooner. And so, <laughs> so that's one of the big things. And, and this one's going to sound funny. I actually got a job to help with a lot of this sort of thing. Cause I'm an entrepreneur. And so, uh, entrepreneur mindset, I, I'm a product designer for, for digital stuff. And so it had gotten to a point where like, I was trying to, to create my own thing, my own business, my own, whatever. And, uh, that's first of all, really, really tough in, in this economy to, to mm. be successful oh, yeah. there. And when you're not successful, you want to just solve that by doing more and trying to like 
come up with another idea. And that just means you're sitting in front of a computer 18 hours a day. And it got to a point where I'm like, well, financially, we needed to, to kind of look into it. But I'm like, I'm just going to go look and try to find a job. Because if I can <laughs> find a job, then I can get paid for my skill. I can go through a season of not having to worry about, you know, bringing home money Creating. or being the yeah. guy with the idea or doing any of that stuff. Uh, I can use my skills in my job because I the job that I have is is one that I love and with a company that I love working for and I get paid to do what I'm I'm good at and what I'm skilled at. But then I can, if I want to, four or five o'clock, shut down and just be done for the day. And I, I needed great. those guardrails. Right. I was yeah. I went through a season where I just I needed that guardrail and just the ability yes. to just shut off without caring. Yeah, sometimes being your own mm-hmm. boss is is the work of five people. It's just unrelenting. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that when you uh, made this decision to downsize, you were uh, in a business and it, there was putting some pressure on you. Do you still have that business or was that something you also downsized and, and moved out of? What did you do about well, that? Great question, because the company that I was that I owned, we sold to the company that I'm working for now. So f- <laughs> oh, five years okay. ago, we sold the company. And so I was going to go just kind of meander the proverbial wilderness to try to figure it out. And three years into that journey, when I really hadn't figured anything out yet, it had gotten to a point where I was like, okay, because I was out to prove something, right? That uh, there's a, a phrase in the, the sort of the entrepreneur space, once lucky, twice good. And so like I had built and sold the first time and I needed to prove to myself where I wanted to prove that I wasn't just lucky and all of that. And I wanted to be good. And so I set pressure on myself. I, I sought out to go do something. It wasn't quite working the way I had wanted to. And then that kind of dovetails into like mental health and things that are like not really good and healthy Mm -hmm. for you. And I recognized that pretty early. And I said, the trajectory in which this is at, I know is not going to be a good one. And so let's try to solve the problem now. And so I reached out to the company that I had sold my business to, to just check in and kind of back and forth, they offered me a job. And so that was two years ago. And so for two years, I've been working for the company that I sold my business to, which is... (laughs) kind of where we're at now. And so uh, it's it's a really good and healthy situation. I get I get paid well. I'm happy. I get to play with stuff on the side. And so there's a really good balance uh, in, in everything I do. So, Wow. It sounds like you made the best choice for yourself. That's awesome. Yeah, really. Working for, for a company like that now, does that make it easier for you to live a minimalist lifestyle or does it make it more difficult? Because many people are, you know, they get a a good job, pays them decently, and then they start accumulating. So how do you, how do you keep that bug from getting back in there or, or is it not a problem for you? It's, it's not a problem. We had sort of made that decision that we've chosen not to come back from sort of the, the selling the big house and like not needing as much, uh, and we mm-hmm. kind of operate under fear, not not a, a bad fear, but the fear that you just in today's society, you just never know, right? Like, you don't know when you lose your job, things like that. Like, and so while it's a great company mm-hmm. and everything's happy today, you know, this economy right now, everyone's losing job, companies are downsizing, all of that stuff. And so I'm like, to kind of fall back into that lifestyle would only put us more at risk should something happen. And again, the company's mm-hmm. great. I feel comfortable with where we're at and all that kind of stuff. And so we're trying to operate now more from a, hey, let's put ourselves ahead rather than kind of keep afloat right. because that that way something mm-hmm. happens, you're a little bit better prepared. I think this is really important for, for people when we're talking about uh, minimalism because, you know, a lot of people, I, I hear this, you know, talked about the concept of minimalism and people are, are like, yeah, well, if you can do it, you know, it, it's probably a good thing, but not everybody can do it. For them to hear from you, 
It's like you made a concrete decision, but it's like you discovered a benefits that you would never go back to uh, what uh, previously before you made mm-hmm. the decision. So what kind of advice could you give to people if they're thinking, I think I'm just too uh, consumed with consumerism and I, I need to cut back, but I'm scared now. I'm, I'm scared if I do that, what's going to happen? What kind of advice would you give them or what advice do you give people when they're talking to you about your minimalist lifestyle? I think the first thing I think of is everyone's interpretation of it is different because I think, you know, we like to emulate, we like to imitate. And, and so even, you know, our mutual friend and kind of how we connected Joshua Becker at becoming minimalist, like his version of minimalism is what works for him. And he tells his story in the hopes that it inspires other people. And it, you know, it's not Mm -hmm. a one size fits all remedy. Uh, And so, you know, when somebody writes an article that says, well, I, you know, pared down to eight things for my wardrobe. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to do eight things, right? Like it's sort of a, a, a figurative <laughs> concept. And so, you know, it's all relative. And so I think what I try to tell people is just start slow, just make baby decisions, you know, things that, you know, are rather inconsequential and and see how that feels. Mm-hmm. Not everybody is meant to just one day wake up and say, we're going to sell the big, you know, 4,000 square foot house we built. Um, right. But... Mm-hmm. You know, it's just small steps, little decisions. Hey, can can I do without this one thing? W- whether it's as small as do we need to go out to dinner tonight and maybe let's make something in and just see how that feels and just experiment and see, you know, and, and if you have a spouse or partner is to just communication's huge, you know, because one person could go down one path and like really want to do a thing or have a lifestyle that yeah. conflicts with their spouse because at one point maybe they were aligned and now they're not communication hey i'm gonna do i'm gonna make these choices and so i don't tell my wife Mm. how many clothes she should wear i'm like (laughs) joshua now i've got like seven of the same color t-shirts that i love and i wear them just every day and don't think twice about it but i don't you know like everyone has their own flavor that's you not her yeah (laughs) Mm. that's interesting because you're you're talking about something that i really believe in and that's experiments Mm. Uh, you know, when people are facing change, that's such a difficult thing to do. But if you break it down to experiments and collect the data while you're doing the experiments, that would be, that's, uh, I think, a really good way to introduce yourself to it. Like I was thinking, uh, you know, you could do an experiment and say, so this week we're going to just function with only one television instead of four, <laughs> you know, and doesn't mean you have to sell the other three. You just, you know, let's see what happens if we limit ourselves to something and then and then collect the data. How do I feel about I only have access to one television or there's three of us in the house and and we we all have to watch the same thing if somebody's watching or you know doing le- that kind of nitty-gritty questioning about yourself and and seeing if it's something that you think you'd even embrace uh, because if you can make changes by doing experiments and say this was not nearly as bad as I thought it was yep. going to be um, yeah. Okay. So I'm going to start cleaning up. I'm going to start getting rid of some, some debris in my life and, and start, you know, getting things crisper and cleaner. Um, I think that would be a great way to start. And, you know, like you're, you're stressing, and I think that's very good that minimalism is different for everybody. So you've got to figure out what's going to work yeah. for you. So maybe not like the one time that Kevin and I decided we were going to be overnight minimalists and bought a motorhome and thought, we'll just move out of our house and we'll just live in this motorhome. We shouldn't have bought the motorhome first. That was a bad call because we realized shortly thereafter that our visions were totally different. So when you're talking about you and your spouse being aligned, wow, mm-hmm. that's huge. Because if there is somebody in your life that you're sharing mm-hmm. space with, 
you kind of need to yep. either have some compromise or an aligned vision or something. Without it, it, it just doesn't work. So we're talking about how you can indulge in or, or create um, a less consumered life for yourself or find a more simplistic way to live. But what is the perk to that? Like, why do you want to do that? What, it, what have you found, like, as far as let's, if we dare dive into maybe more spirituality or your heart space or the connection of your being, what does that do for you in your heart and mind by, by reducing the outward, mm. you know, possessions and commitments and financial strains? I think, and, and of course, with relationships, there's some extra layers here. But generally speaking, at least for me, my experience has been the less I've needed to have, the more I've been able to do. And that's a pretty wide open statement, right? Like, mm -hmm. I haven't had to make as much money. So I have more time to do, you know, insert anything. I can run right. more, I can have more time with my wife, I could, you know, spend more time at baseball games with my son and stuff like that. And so generally, I think people need to experience the plus side of the minus side, right? Which is, what am I gaining by losing? Because it's like, oh, if I just go clear out my closet or whatever, you know, if you look at it just at face value, it's like, okay, well, I'm just going to go donate a bunch of clothes that I spent a lot of money on. That's X thousands of dollars out there. What's the benefit to me? Well, you've got some freedom. You've got more space. You've got mm -hmm. things like that. And so I think people need to understand. And this is where, like I said, the communication side with within spouses happens. Because if people start forcing others who aren't ready to do that, then it's really easy to say, hey, mm. you're just taking away from me and what am I, yes. like you're not getting anything yeah. in return or whatever. Yeah. And so it is, we, we sort of talked about like, touched on like the spiritual element of it. A lot of this is mindset. A lot of this is sort of, you know, works into like mental health and all of that, which is basically like, you, you don't lose possessions and then gain possessions. And, and some, for some people, it's not enough. They, they need more than just like a mental like fix by doing a thing or getting rid of a thing. Um, and I don't, for me, it's just, it's so much just more rewarding to not have to upkeep, not have to account for, not have to pay for the material things. And so, you know, and, and a lot of times, you know, this could, you know, someone's journey could start by just opening up a closet or whatever, and just literally just removing things. But it also could start by just not adding to what you already have, right? Like, hey, maybe step yeah. one isn't like just opening, if you're not ready for this yet, or you want to experience it. Do it slow by just not buying the things that, you know, kind of from that point forward, um, mm -hmm. you know, maybe mm -hmm. in moderation, instead of going out to eat six nights a week, it's one night or two nights or th just right. any amount yeah. of downsize is good, right? Because then you're like, hey, we went out because then you kind of go through a process. You say, hey, we didn't go out tonight. We made food at home and we made a mess, but we had a good time. This was actually joyful. And so you look at it, you look at it from like the positive side versus the negative side. And it starts to kind of just kind of percolate through all the things you do as on a daily basis. And so for me, it's just been more like that. It's been more of an innate, like kind of navigation through the process. Mm -hmm. So you're creating, you're actually creating mm -hmm. more space to breathe in all the areas that matter, like in your heart, in your mind, your body, and in your physical space, because there's just less stuff that you have to manage, less stuff you're responsible for, less stuff you have to store. Yes, I don't know if you guys can see. There's a sign on my wall right behind me here. There's two signs there. It says "Embrace the Good," which is that top sign. That's a magnolia. Joanna Gaines one. But below that is a custom sign my wife made um, from a quote that I had said, which is "White space is where the magic happens." Mm. And you know, speaking ah. to what you just said, uh, Janelle, like, mm. like 
when that's what I was talking about, like that innate part of this, which is, mm-hmm. you know, when you have that space and you can feel something that you weren't prepared to feel and it fe- feels good, then it just becomes easier to start to think things differently and kind of navigate differently the course. Right. So I kind of see this conversation with you yeah. as this way of creating, like it's one option that you bring to the table, Brian, where you're talking about minimalism. It's one way that you can sort of, I don't want to use the word kickstart, but maybe make space for a transition from a very doing focused mentality to more of a being focused, not because doing is wrong, but because the less focused we are on, on creating the income that then enables the lifestyle that then keeps up the appearance to everybody else that we're successful and that we're making it. And the less pressure there is to perform all the things that maintain that lifestyle, the more space there is for just breathing and being and enjoying present moments because you don't have, you know, uh, 70,000 meetings to attend or all of these products to sell or whatever it is that you have to do to create the lifestyle that you have now committed yourself to. And I also love yeah. that you said earlier that you you can have a lifestyle that seems like a huge commitment and then you can just change your mind the next day. You can change your mind in a week. You're not tied to that because you decided one time this is what we're going to be. We're going to have, you know, outward shows of our prosperity. You can change that. You can change the the whole dynamic and you even talk about that in one of these steps because one of them is it's it's about social media or it's about social competition and that is such a driving force for how so (laughs) many of us live our lives it's this whole i want to look better be better do better have more and there is a lot of pressure for that um so the the moment you decide to take more of a minimalistic approach to not just things but to pressures and expectations and all of that, you create more breathing room. Would you agree? Yeah. And, and so I turn 50 next year. And so one, one part of the caveat to my story is that I've learned, um, and there's a lot of parts in life, running and metrics is one of them. Uh, as you get older, some things you just stop caring about. Like it just (laughs) happens because you just get older, right? Like the competitiveness, like Mm -hmm. the way you look and how you smell and how you dress and like all this other stuff. Like, thankfully, I'm like, thank God we didn't grow up like in today's society because the pressure that exists with social media, like all this stuff is, is, I mean, it's it's prevalent in all of our lives, but like, thank God when we were teenagers, like we didn't have to deal with this. Um, But like, like right now, like I just, the keeping up with the Jones thing for me is so far removed from the way I view anything now. I'm a Christian. And so at church, we, we, one of the messages I heard several years ago that I resonated with was it was about coveting and, and, you know, all that kind of stuff, coveting your neighbor, what they have, whatever. Uh, and our pastor said, no matter what anybody else has, you have more than you deserve. And it's like, and that was like a, mm. a really precursor to all of this because that's wow. a very spiritual relational or a religious kind of sentiment, which doesn't necessarily touch what I wrote about in, in the article, but it, mm. when you kind of, can get to that point where whether you believe in God or not is a different story. But just if you believe the concept of no matter what you have, you have more, if you can feel good about that in life and sort of like believe that, um, if you're just happy to just be alive and to have a good relationship and a pet that you love or whatever, then all of a sudden, none of it matters. Yeah. That is so true. You know, and I've, I've traveled in different parts of the world and, and some of the places where I've been are, are really poor and yet the people are mm-hmm. happy 
And to see that kind of uh, thing, you know, kids playing in the street in the gutter where it's there's sewage running in the gutter, but they're they're happy and they figure out their toys. Yep. You know, they they're not going to Toys R Us to get toys. They 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 make their own, and it's it's pretty amazing to see the resilience of human beings and adaptability and and things that we can be grateful for in our lives. I'm sure you've been in situations where you get a negative reaction towards the idea of minim minimalism because they're protecting their own uh, consumerism or whatever. How do you respond when people, if I don't know if they, if, if I would say they attack you, but when they uh, yeah. express uh, not agreement with what you're saying? I've been fortunate. I, I haven't ever really been attacked by any of this. Um, unlike Joshua Becker that we had talked about who, who it's his online presence. It's his website. It's the way he makes money and all of those things. Um, I think because of his platform, he's probably in a different position to be attacked and supported just because of his reach. Okay. Uh, I, I haven't had, you know, thankfully to deal with that. I, I just live by, this is my story and I don't ever, uh, want to impose this on anybody. So like that's usually when you get sort of those reactions is when people feel like that they're being mm -hmm. force fed something, whether it's, you know, religion okay. or in this case, sort of like lifestyle choices or whatever. I just, you know, it's my story. It's my life. I'm living it. I share it. Mm -hmm. And if people, you know, want to comment one way or the other, they can. But again, I, I'm not running around telling everybody you should sell all your things or you should move from your big house or whatever. Cause that's generally when you get people who are like, who are you to say what I should, you know, things like that. So I think like most things, people kind of see it from afar and support you if they're a good friend or a good family member. I think a lot of people like I do, for example, really look at the a minimalist lifestyle with a lot of respect. Um, you know, sure. It can be triggering if someone says get rid of some things but i'm not as attached to things in that way like i i i am more than happy to experiment with that but the ultimate goal of of really only having things in your life that you that have a purpose to you that serve you somehow mm -hmm. to me just seems like like the holy grail like I, if i can get there I, unfortunately i'm like a stalker I, i'm not a stalker <laughs> that follows people but like <laughs> a stockpiler that's what i mean a stockpiler you know, if, if one thing's on sale, I'll buy 10 of them, you know, I, sure. Yeah. I've got stuff all over. That's a stash. We're good for months. And that mentality <laughs> would be really good if I could let that go. I'm not a squirrel. I'm, you know, I'm a human being. I can probably make it day to day without a, a stockpile of stuff. So I think it's a great mm. inspiration um, that people like you write articles like this, that you offer another alternative, especially when you feel like you're drowning under the weight of all of your responsibilities to maintain a life that you aren't even sure you want anymore, but you don't ask mm -hmm. yourself if you want it because you're so stuck in the rat race that you just keep doing what you think you should be doing. So I think it's awesome. I, I, I love point number five in the article where you talk about cultivating gratitude by directing your focus away from material abundance mm -hmm. because you can be grateful, like you said, for every literally everything everything the the fur ball that's laying in your lap you know that's purring or barking at you or whatever there's so many things to be grateful for even when it feels like all is lost and so cultivating that kind of gratitude do you have like a gratitude practice do you journal or do you just incorporate it into every day probably more the latter i'm always i've always enjoyed thinking gratitude start with starts with attitude and just how you how you yes. see things and uh, how you perceive things i think uh as a quick story uh, i think one of the the best examples of gratitude was 
Uh, several years ago, uh, my wife and my son and I, we drove down to Waco, Texas so that we could uh, go to Magnolia Market, which is Chip and Joanna Gaines' oh, thing. Yes. And they have a restaurant called the Magnolia Table. So we get to the Magnolia Table and oh, we cool. sit down and they have these these little leather pouches in, in the booth and they're for phones. They want you to put your phones inside of this little container so that you just don't, you know, doom scroll while you're sitting there. Oh, wow. And so... Ours had a little card on there that said, put your phones in here and talk about things you're thankful for. And I was just like, and it was just the three of us. And it was like, you know, it was just great to be down there and to be happy and healthy and enjoying a nice meal and just spending time together. So, you know, I think a lot of it is, it starts with attitude, the way you view the world, the way you view your possessions, the way you view the things you don't have. Yeah. And I Mm. think when you said the word deserve... I was a little tiny, tiny smidgy tr- triggered by that because I was like, deserve, like, say the sentence again. What is it? Uh, no matter what anybody else has, you have more than you deserve. Right. Now, the lens in which that came through was a very religious and spiritual lens. So it's, yeah, it's less that. about like tangible items and stuff like that. So it's not quite the best in this case, but it's something that I remember. It triggered a thought for you. I get what you're saying. Yeah, I totally get yeah, what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, it made me think about the, there is like a, a scarcity aspect to the fear of embracing a minimalistic lifestyle. And by minimalistic lifestyle, I don't even just mean mm. less things. I mean, less time restrictions, less, you know, less in- responsibilities, less engagements, less people that you're, re- that you're responsible to care for. All of those aspects of having a more minimalistic approach. So it, it, it can feel in some ways, almost scary because it implies to an over-consumer, it implies scarcity. That would mean having less mm. or not enough. I think not enough would be the worst, worst thought. What if I don't have enough? What if this is never exists yeah, I'm again? Gonna yeah. I'm going to run out. I'm going to run out. What if stuff. I give this away? Yeah. And this happened with yeah. my husband and I. We were getting rid of a bunch of things because we were moving into a motorhome. No, we weren't. That never happened. But we were going <laughs> to. And we got rid of all these things. And then, of course, three months later, we decided to stay where we were. And now we're missing all these things. And so we're doing the classic, mm-hmm. oh, man, we should never have done that. We should never have given that away. Why did we give that away? So then we had to go buy to replace it. Did we have to buy to replace it? I don't know. But we felt like we had to buy mm-hmm. to replace it. So there's mm-hmm. like a dad, like from a psychologist's perspective, there is a mental block or there is there is a challenge there when it comes to you know, reducing the stress, you feel the stress of all the things and you need to reduce it, but you have Mm. resistance to the reducing of it. So that's when your experiments come in so handy. Mm. And you were talking about them too, Brian, little tiny experiments, (laughs) not huge life-changing experiments overnight. (laughs) So let me ask you if, if something unfolds and you decide that you're going to move or your son's going to university, if you decided you were going to do that, does does the way that you live now, does that make it much simpler than it would have if you were living the way you were living before? Like if you decided to pick up and relocate, is that is that a, a relatively simple thing to do with your lifestyle? It's simpler than it would have been. I mean, moving cross country in yeah. any context is always a more difficult thing. Um, and But yeah. I, I will say this, and I, I read the, an article Joshua wrote, um, I think it was for Forbes actually, uh, several years ago. And this will, as we head into like our next house, because the house that we have now is decent size. Zach's going away, and so we're essentially going to be empty nesters. And so I told you, like, wherever we go next, whether it's here locally, whether it's out to Phoenix or whatever, 
Uh, the one thing I want us to, to think about is something Joshua said, which is don't buy or build the house that you can afford, buy or build the house that you need. And because mm. you can afford mm. a certain thing and that would only be at that mm. time, which is the same thing that happened to the big house that we built. We could afford it, but we didn't need it. Right. And there's a huge right. difference there. And so I told her, I'm like, I want a smaller house. I, you know, I want to have more more ability to spoil him and grandchildren and things like that than <laughs> than not. Cute. So, you know, a little bit more on the sort of proactive side and the conservative side of, of life. And especially as you get older, you just never know health and how long people are going to live and stuff like that. Now we're just kind of entering a more cautious sort of way of looking at it all anyway. So I think it'll just kind of naturally happen. Well, the bigger the house, the more there is to maintain. That's one of the reasons my husband mm -hmm. and I wanted to downsize. Mm -hmm. Just less and less and less yes. to do, you know, the smaller your living space, really. Brian, did you have anything else you wanted to share with our listeners or final thoughts? I guess if anything, and I'm asked this often, whether it's in this sort of lifestyle choice or as I do a business or do just anything in life. Uh, and as a runner, this is like very metaphorical. Uh, is to break through the wall in running when you run a marathon you get to mile 17 mm. 18 there's a thing called the wall which is like where it's at its hardest and most difficult yeah. and you want to just throw the towel in and stop doing what you're doing and so as marathoners know once you break through that and get to the other side of it then you reap the the rewards of sort of that stamina and whatever and so with life mm. i always like to just encourage people like when it gets tough is to try to work through it and to be diligent and to um sort of be prepared that that might come, but also know how mm. to get through it because usually on the other side of that is where all the reward is. And so, um, you know, even as we're talking about living the minimalist lifestyle, it's like, this feels uncomfortable. I'm not ready for this. I don't want to do this and just kind of just hanging with it and um, just really trying to sort of, you know, do what you believe in and sort of think of it more of a long haul. You yeah. know, life is a, a marathon, not a, not a sprint sort of a thing. Yeah. Discomfort doesn't always mean that it's a bad thing. Sometimes we have to kind of mm -hmm. lean into the discomfort a little mm -hmm. bit. I have one, one other thing I'd like to ask you about. We, we talk a lot in our, in our podcasts and uh, in the work that we're doing about spirituality. Spirituality is opposed to religion, not, not necessarily yep. religion, although it certainly could be. And I'm wondering, has this made a difference in your spiritual life in the way that you think about life, think about living, think about others, think about whatever can you can you identify any specific changes that you feel have happened in you spiritually as a result of this i think it was more directionally the other way the spiritualness helped sort of open the door and pave the way for the, the minimalist thing because you know at, at a core okay. i've been a christian for 20 some years like the idea of he who is the best is the least and stuff like that just all of those sort of mindsets you know we don't need as much and again the the message that mm. i had talked about with the you have more than you deserve. Like it's been easier to lean into this lifestyle. Not that it's a requirement by any stretch. It's been easier to lean into this because not only does, does it feel better and do I just, you know, our family gets to experience the things we kind of, in our in our minds, it's sort of backed more by the, the spiritual side of it. And so it's been easier to lean into this minimalist lifestyle because we know, you know, the dangers of um, leaning into, you know, material possessions and wealth and, you know, prioritizing the wrong things and whatnot. Well, it, thank you. This has been a really, a really great uh, conversation. And I really appreciate you giving us the time to come on our podcast. You yeah, made my, my day when you said yes, Brian. Made my day. Oh, well, I think you had said I was the first person you had reached out to like an yes. old, cold yes. sense. 
Yeah, you made my day. <laughs> Don't let that me. set precedent. You did well. It yeah. doesn't mean everybody will, but <laughs> I know. I'm glad that's. I some. know that now, Brian. I know that now. Yeah. Well, I hope you're ready for a doozy next week because we have a very special guest. He is a father, a provider, and a realist who strictly adheres to a pay now, play later philosophy. And he's my brother, Josh. That's right. Next week's episode is a family affair, but it's actually not all fun and games. As we'll discover in the discussion, Josh's strict adherence to a productive lifestyle and the burden of responsibility he carries to plan for everyone and everything doesn't leave him a lot of time to enjoy the moment. Throughout the conversation, we look for a way to balance doing with being. Can we be both future-focused and present and available in each moment? We'll find out next week. What did you think of this episode? Head over to the private Change Evolutionist community chat to join the conversation. Find the link in the show notes. We're excited to announce that you can find the Human Being Project on Wisdom, a social media app that promotes authentic connections and meaningful conversations with real people. This is great news for you because it gives you an opportunity to ask a question anonymously and get a voice reply from one of us. Just go to wisdom.app forward slash human being project forward slash ask. Type your question and click send. Never miss an episode. Get notification to your inbox when a new episode is released. Download to your device or listen wherever you get your podcasts. To get notifications, go to thechangeevolutionist.com forward slash subscribe. Ron Thiessen is a practicing psychologist and educator. To apply as a guest on the podcast, please visit thechangeevolutionist.com forward slash podcast guest. <laughs>